0: Welcome to Day 2 Cloud and I hope you got your propeller beanie on today because we are going deep. We're talking about service meshes, specifically Cilium, the Cilium 1.12 release and that features Cilium service mesh and our our guest today is Thomas Graf. He is the CTO co-founder at Isovalent, the co-creator of Cilium in eison or he is the chair of the eBPF governing board, isn't he Ned?
1: He certainly is, and he is a recovering kernel developer. And you, that those chops are on full display because as deep as we try to go, he goes deeper than we can. And we're just trying to, to keep up with all the information he's dropping about how ebpf fits into the uh, service sidecar proxy landscape and how it could actually bring you some serious performance and observ- observability improvements.
0: We go as deep as a packet walk in this discussion. Uh, Thomas takes us from ingestion of a packet and as it flows all the way through a Kubernetes cluster, including Cilium service mesh with EPPF and how it varies from a sidecar proxy flow. Strap in folks, it's a good one. Uh, Enjoy this conversation with Thomas Graff. Thomas Graff, welcome to the Day2Cloud podcast. And uh, this is the first time you've been on the show. So in a sentence or two, would you tell the nice people listening who you are and what you do? Hey, I'm Thomas, and thanks for having me today. I'm Thomas, and uh,
2: I would describe myself as a kernel developer turned co-founder, also avid skier and family and overall fem- family guy. All right,
0: <laughs> uh, kernel developer turned turned co-founder. You you two have turned the <laughs> corner from doing you know actual work to like having to run a company too. You know, like, like you didn't have enough to do already. There's actually, there's, there's a lot of parallels.
2: It's, 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 it's fascinating how much of my kernel developer knowledge I could take over and use as a, as a co-founder today.
0: Well, speaking of your kernel development chops, the Cilium project is a project that you're behind, uh, certainly one of the, the major motive forces that have made it go. Would you describe the Cilium project at a high level for folks? Absolutely. We started the Cilium project six years ago. Um, it's a bit, a bit longer than eBPF, which
2: is the core technology that we use it under on, on, on the hood of, the, of, of Cilium. You could say that we created Cilium because of eBPF. So Cilium does cloud-native networking and security, and it uses eBPF for everything it does. Uh, It is today powering massive Kubernetes clusters. Some of the biggest cloud providers use Solim as the underlying networking and network security layer for their managed Kubernetes offerings. But we're also AH powering um, networking and other use cases for massive enterprises, telcos, and so on. So we really see it as the next generation of networking that is coming in, just as virtualization replaced physical networking or hardware networking, uh, we see cloud-native networking slowly replacing uh, the the virtualized networking layer.
1: Wow, that is, that is a broader uh, application of the technology than I would have thought of because my only interaction with Cilium has been through Kubernetes. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned a whole bunch of other use cases out there. Is that because you've created something that is just a more general purpose than something that's focused on a single application like Kubernetes networking?
2: Yes, and I think that goes back to e- using eBPF. eBPF is 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 incredibly programmable. So it gives our networking layer a programmable, programmability property that far outweighs what, what's common during network virtualization, we, which is why Cilium can do things that actually go beyond networking as well. But it means that we can also take care of typical SDN use cases. And that is, I think, summarizes kind of the core strength of Cilium. It plays really, really well in public cloud, where you run infrastructure in public cloud, but equally well so on-premise as well. So we can also speak BGP and VLAN and MPLS. but we can then tie into the cloud provider SDN and we can create an, we can create an overlay network, we can, run B, B, we can run VPNs and that's what's making it so powerful. Right? It allows us to actually think of, of networking one, two levels above how we have been doing so far. That's why for, for networking folks, I always describe it as a next in creation of SDN essentially.
0: Now, Cilium, the Cilium project is open source. This is free and open source software available under the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, right? Correct. Yes, Cilium is a CNCF
2: project at incubation level. We are looking to graduate hopefully later this year.
1: Excellent. All right. And speaking of the progress of Cilium, it looks like 1.12 was recently released. And I think there are some exciting new features on it. Can you highlight a few of those key features for us? The major feature
2: in 1.12 is clearly service mesh, and I think we'll talk about that a bit mm. more. Uh, there's tons of other things that are equally important, I would say. The biggest, I think, bucket is cluster mesh and external workloads. Cluster mesh is the ability to connect multiple Kubernetes clusters together without any proxies at all, purely on the network side. We've added topology where routing, meaning that I can remain in the cloud in the in the cluster when I'm load balancing and only go to remote cluster if there's no local backend, backend or the opposite. And also very exciting lightweight clusters where a remote edge cluster can share the control plane of maybe a centralized clusters, a centralized cluster. And this is ideal to create small little clusters, maybe hosting external workloads. External workloads are non-Kubernetes, non-containerized workloads that want to participate in the Cilium mesh. This could be a Metal server running a database, or it could be a fleet of EC2 VMs, or it could also be a RAN, but that's actually part of a telco network. So anywhere where a Linux kernel is running, you can run Cilium on and you can participate or have that machine participate in the mesh as well. We've also added a lot of functionality around these external workloads from Um, propagating the egress gateway to stable, uh, adding IPv6 support to BGP VTAP support, and then also lots of load balancing and network security additions as well. But overall, the two biggest themes, and I think that matches what has been going on in the Kubernetes ecosystem is uh, cluster mesh, multiple clusters, as well as extending outside of Kubernetes. So cloud-native networking and cloud-native concepts apply to not just just the, the small island that is Kubernetes.
0: No, you didn't say tetragon, but I think tetragon was part of the release too, wasn't it? Tetragon was part of the re- release as well. It's almost
2: an independent project, which I, which is why I have not mentioned it. We, we announced it for KubeCon in Europe. It's runtime security and observability using eBPF as well. Has made a big wave, a big splash when we when we when we introduced it for the first time earlier this year.
1: It's funny. I always think of networking products as one step away from becoming security products, just because of the level of inspection and observability they tend to have in the flow of how applications and services are talking to each other, it feels like a very natural next step to then apply some security and policy into that networking connectivity. And so that sounds like that's what Tetragon is kind of doing. That's
2: exactly how uh, how, how this went, right? We went from doing networking to network observability. If you have network observability, can you go one layer higher? Can you also see the system call, right? Can you also see the file the file access now that you have the visibility can you start doing the enforcement Uh, (laughs) and and at the network level what's what's fascinating you are already thinking of distributed systems you're already aware of all the nodes so runtime enforcement i think that may be quite unique with tetragon is essentially enforcement at a fleet level so you're not protecting individual hosts or nodes you're essentially protecting entire clusters. And you can use the context that's available on each node to provide better runtime security by actually understanding end-to-end what is going on at both the runtime system call file and the network level.
0: That's a lot of power. That's And that's a whole other show unto itself. But in this show, I think we <laughs> wanted to focus on Cilium <laughs> Service Mesh. Um, Service Mesh is, as powered by eBPF in your context, is a really... Interesting context. So so let, let's start at the beginning here for folks that are unfamiliar with Cilium Service Mesh and what that's all about. Would you give us a high level overview?
2: Absolutely. We had a Service Mesh offering for a long time via an Istio integration. So when users of Cilium would come to us and say, Hey, we want to use a Service Mesh, we will point them at the documentation and say, Hey, here is Istio. You can run Cilium and Istio together, and it will give you a sidecar-based service mesh approach. It would use Envoy. And Cilium will, will kind of be friends with benefits. It would actually improve Istio in a variety of way. One of them is um, sidecars have this bad tendency to leave unencrypted traffic on a virtual network, on a virtual wire. So a sidecar is a small little sidecar proxy that runs next to each application, and it gets injected via the network usually over the loopback, which means that the traffic between the app and the sidecar is actually not encrypted. It's plain text. And that, even though it's just a virtual interface, actually already breaks some of the compliance rules because if you have... If you have the ability to tap that wire, even though it's virtual, you have access to clear text information. That's something we can take care of with eBPF in our Cilium implementation, where we enrich STO. When you run this Istio integration, Cilium would also enforce its its own layer seven policies together with SDO. So that was our answer so far, um, and. We have been assuming that Istio was the way to go and that everybody would be happy with this. And then over the years, more and more users started asking, well, could you give us a slightly simpler approach to service mesh from a complexity perspective? We already know yeah. Kubernetes, and you have built cluster mesh, like your ability to connect multiple clusters together using only Kubernetes resources. I can use Kubernetes services, Kubernetes network policy. I don't need to learn anything new, and I can connect my clusters together. Can you give me something similar? Um, for the service mesh use case as well. Around the same time the discussions around gateway API started to evolve and it became clear, well, maybe there is interest that Ingress V2, which turned gateway API may actually become the new service mesh specification standard over time. Then Then it's when it started to click for us. Well, maybe it's time to consider doing our own service mesh, that is a little bit easier because we never had an, intre- an interest to invent another 40 custom resources uh, <laughs> and like o- overwhelm our users with even, even more of them. And at the same time, the other major feedback we got was if you can find a way to get rid of this sidecar proxy, that will be fantastic. Like we want the service mesh value, but managing fleets of thousands of thousands of sidecar proxies has a lot of issues. It also has quite a performance impact. Um, we have all seen tweets floating around 10 20, 30 uh, percent of compute spent percent of compute spend on just a sidecar or we've seen latency spikes or just latency added because there's so many additional TCP connections that have that have to be um, that have to be added. That led us to I think researching can we bring a service mesh data plane that does not rely on sidecar in addition, to the existing Istio integration. So with 1.12, we're formally introducing Cilium Service Mesh that now has both options. You can use sidecars if you want via the Istio integration, or you can use Cilium Service Mesh without any sidecars and bring your own control plane, whether this is Gateway API, whether this is Ingress, which we also added, or whether it is the Envoy CRD, probably the most powerful variant, and any additional control, control plane that we might add in the
1: future. Okay, so you're not locked into a specific control plane to manage this service mesh. You can snap it into one that you might already be using today, but you're looking to migrate away from the sidecar proxy architecture.
2: Exactly, we're not interested to invent yet another control plane. We will, based on user demand, support the control planes that are already in use. The ones that we currently support are are Istio, Mm -hmm. Ingress, Gateway API in a work in progress branch, and the new new Envoy CRD. And most, we actually planned on SMI, but it looks like SMI might not be um, continued at all.
1: Yes, I remember when SMI came out and there was people were uncertain about it. And I think that uncertainty has continued and plagued it to a certain degree. And uh, it may, yeah, like you said, may not be long for this world. So you mentioned Cilium. Service Mesh, and we've mentioned eBPF, what is the relationship between those two things?
2: Cilium Service Mesh would not be possible without eBPF and Envoy. So the piece of the story that we don't know yet around Cilium is that Cilium has always been providing a set of Layer 7 services, but not the full Mesh feature set. So we have been providing Layer 7 observability and also Layer 7 firewalling, but we have been doing so with an envoy proxy that is running on the nodes directly managed by Cilium. so whenever a layer seven service needed to be provided we would use ebpf on the network data path level to transparently inject an envoy proxy and provide observability or the firewalling capabilities but we never performed layer seven load balancing no retries no canneries no mtls nothing like like this and with Cilium service mesh we've now expanded this and we're now using Envoy or eBPF when possible to provide these services. To give a couple of examples that we can actually do fully in eBPF. We can of course do any sort of layer three, layer four processing, that's pretty obvious. But then we can also do canary rollouts. Canary rollouts uh, for the most part if you don't need to match on specific HTTP headers. Uh, We can also do HTTP parsing in our enterprise distribution of Selium. So a full-blown HTTP2 parser in eBPF, as well as MTLS. And the MTLS model actually comes with even better benefits. And again, the same sort of of feedback we got on on how to improve service meshes. we want MTLS but for all the protocols, not just for TCP. Hey, we have multicast, we have UDP, we have STTP, we're an enterprise, we, we're not just TCP only. We want that new authentication model, preferably with MTLS, but please make it work with any protocol. So we have written about this in a recent blog. We've decoupled the authentication and the payload the transport which means we can do the authentication using MTLS, using a proxy, completely decouple from the data path, and then do the actual transport of the data and secure that with IPsec or WireGuard, which means we don't need to terminate connections and we have the kind of regular net- network network performance and can support any network protocol. That's how where eBPF comes in. It allows us to do all of these things that are not really doable by a proxy on its own. But
0: there's still some things, You've alluded to this a few different times. There's still things we're going to need a sidecar proxy for. I can run Silium Service Mesh. I can leverage eBPF as much as possible, but I still will need sidecar proxies in in some cases. Can you mm-hmm. kind of draw that line? What can I, well, you just listed off a ton of things I can do in eBPF and we got to drill, drill into that list some more because you said some things I wasn't expecting. But but So that maybe the question should be focused on where will I still need a sidecar proxy? Yes. So there are
2: cases where it does not make sense to even not have a proxy in One such example is TLS termination because I'm, I, I, I'm going to have to terminate this connection and keeping this in the kernel may have some benefit, but it's very, very little. Like the benefit is if I don't have to terminate the connection. So if I do MTLS and I terminate, re like open a new connection, terminate again, and I split it into three connections instead of one, if I can solve that, that's a huge win. And that's why our MTLS does not do, that's a huge win. That's that's what we do in eBPF. But if we actually do TLS termination on behalf of the application, let's just use a proxy. Another the other good example thats that we're just not solving and may not make sense is splicing of connections. So you have one connection coming, coming in, you do layer seven load balancing, for example, based on request headers, then within the same TCP connections, these requests may need to go to different destinations and you're going from one to N connections. For that, potentially we could at some point do this in the kernel, but you really need to terminate the connection at this point without some real magic,
0: very little benefit added to somehow do this in the kernel. And is those it, are exact, yes. Is it an issue with state? Because you talk about uh, TLS terminations, splicing of connections, both of those are very state heavy operations.
2: Exactly. right. So you need to terminate the connection, you have a socket, then you need to keep the state, you need to run a full TCP stack, right? You need to buffer the data, and then you parse that data and do something based on that. And that's what a proxy was designed for. That's what it's actually really good for. That's where we still use a proxy. I think they're very, very, like a lot of use cases such as pure HTTP visibility. Well, if you can avoid the proxy, massive benefit. Like we have like the latency gets cut in half, more than half. We don't need to terminate the connection if you can get access to the clear text otherwise. And that's what we'll, so what we're looking for is not necessarily replacing the proxy altogether. That's not the goal. The goal is to find patterns where the proxy does not make sense and where we can find an alternative and get and gain a lot of performance gains.
0: Now, there's a point you can clarify for me because I feel like I'm missing something. Okay, TLS termination would happen in a proxy. But mm-hmm. you're mentioning, I think you're saying MTLS. We, we can run that through eBPF in the kernel. W- what is happening with MTLS? I think I've run into something new and I'm unfamiliar.
2: I see. Okay, so TLS termination I refer to when I use a layer 7 load balancer in front of my app, right? Yep. And yep. I'm going to, I have the certificate of my app. Uh, and I will terminate the connection, and I can use a single local answer IP to host many many applications, and I will use the hostname, the S&I name, to actually then redirect to my app. And I, I'm, I the, t- the connection is coming in SSL encrypted, TLS encrypted, because it's coming from the client from the uh, from 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 maybe maybe a, a a mobile phone or something. I have no choice; I have to terminate it. And then there is mTLS, which is taking the concept of TLS to bring it into a data center or into a Kubernetes cluster and secure end-to-end communication, like pod-to-pod or service-to-service communication. And the purpose of this is to authenticate one app talking to another app. But we're in control of both sides. It's not a random client talking to me. It's like service of team one talking to service of team two and, and TLS has great properties because it gives us this of this strong mutual authentication. Both the sender knows who, who the receiver is, and the receiver is sure to trust the sender. But we don't need to use TLS to actually transport the data. So we can do this, uh, this authentication on behalf as a third party, as the networking layer, and then use network encryption, IPsec, or WireGuard to actually uh, encrypt okay. it. So now maybe the the dots start to go, and that means we yeah. no longer have to terminate the connection. So mTLS is it's almost a hack, right? So oh, <laughs> the the apps are not doing TLS, but we want strong mutual TLS. So let's terminate the connection, create a TLS termination, create the TLS connection, terminate again because the receiving app also does not understand TLS. That's creating this massive overhead. So and if our goal is to create mutual authentication, we don't necessarily have to do mTLS in the proxy fashion.
1: Right, right, right. The the whole point of the certificates in, in MTLS is for verification of identity, not protection of data. So once they've verified each other's identity, you can get out of the way of the data path and secure that with something else, like you were saying, IPsec or, or WireGuard. So that makes a ton of sense to me. It sounds like a lot of the use cases where a sidecar is still necessary is things that I would traditionally associate with like a layer seven load balancer or an API gateway. Mm-hmm. Those are the situations where I'm terminating the session there and modifying the request or doing something to it before I pass it along to a backend service. Yes.
2: And there's there's one more detail here, which probably help everybody to click as well. If we assume that we no longer need two proxies for NTLS, it actually frees us up because what you just mentioned is exactly the case. And the load balancing is typically done client sides, right? My app is talking somewhere else in another cluster and I want to do client side layer seven load balancing. Well, I only need one proxy for this. Like I do my proxy, I do my load balancing decision and then can talk to my remote backend. In the sidecar model, we always have two proxies to go through. So even if when we still need a proxy to do load balancing, layer 7 load balancing, or TLS termination for traffic that's coming into the cluster, then we only need one proxy instead of two. And we already have cut the overhead in half without actually losing anything.
1: Ah, I think I, I get it. So if the, the client in this situation is actually just another pod inside the same cluster, instead of having two proxies there, I only have a single proxy for the destination of where that client is trying to talk to. Yeah, so that really does cut down on the traffic. And I guess the same applies if you're doing uh, inter-cluster communications or an external client as well. Same same sort of savings on the proxies.
2: Exactly. And that's that's actually a massive use case, which is why we've added the Topology of routing in 1.12. Multi-cluster in general is a massive focus of Kubernetes whether it's scalability, whether it's HA use cases, just multi-region or typical edge use cases as well, like tiny little clusters at the edge and then centralized services. And everybody's now creating this multi-cloud connectivity plane, right? That is, <laughs> that, is, that, is, that, is that has some service mesh properties, but also everybody wants that enterprise-grade network, that, that network network performance, right? So and I think that's exactly what, we, what, we're, what we're bringing. Uh, we don't really care about whether it's sidecar or not sidecar. We kind of see what the market, what our users demand, and we feel like what we're building is is um, exactly exactly hitting that.
1: Mm-hmm. You bring up a really good point about cluster to cluster communication, and I almost think of it like we built these Kubernetes clusters that have this virtual network that is just inside that cluster, and ideally, you would want to. Ease the communication between multiple clusters. You're all running this virtual network. Why can't you easily knit those virtual networks together instead of having these sort of convoluted solutions that are going through an egress into an ingress? So, is that something that your cluster mesh portion of Cilium is solving for? Absolutely. And we have
2: we have we have two modes. We have the the network ops appealing mode. <laughs> where there's like network knowledge of people, they will make sure there is no there's no over, overlapping IP ranges and we might be running VGP or we're setting up like peering between VPCs and so on. And it's exactly known what's going on on the, on the actual network. And there's full pod IP to pod IP routing across everything. Like yeah. networking people will love this. Like, oh, this is great. This is what I want. And then there's also the opposite model, which is, App teams have created the, app, the clusters and everybody's using 10 slash eight. It's only <laughs> conflicting IP addresses. And now, please, please make it work. Like, please help me connect everything together. We also have that mode where obviously you no longer have pod IP to pod IP connectivity, but you can then use services to actually build, let's say transition points or gateways on how you can move between their clusters and actually get multiple clusters, even if they have overlapping IPs talk to each other. We almost have these two different modes to help uh, our two different um, two two different personas, because we really see both platform teams using Cilium and also application teams that may be less strong on the networking side use Cilium and so service mesh as well.
1: You mentioned IPv6 at one point, and I think that's the obvious solution. Is you don't run into <laughs> any conflicts when you're all using yes. <laughs> things, right?
2: We actually built Cilium IPv6 only for the, for the first six months because I'd fully agree, right? IPv6 is the answer. And then we, we had internal bets going on a team. How long does it take for who will convince us to add IPv4? And then it was Google and we were, we were completely surprised.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is surprising. You think they'd be behind it, oh. Yeah.
0: I got a chuckle out of listening to the two of you guys talk about all the different uh, stitching together with the cluster mesh capability because we just described 10 years worth of venture capital funding flooding into the networking market for a variety of SDN products and approaches from every player out there. So that's, that's a riot that we're still, we're still there, still solving that problem, still pushing that rock uphill. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, Thomas, I got a question for you about the idea of simpler. So one of the arguments you make, and you wrote a pretty lengthy blog post about everything going on with Cilium Service Mesh on your uh, on your site there. One of the arguments you make is that eBPF is is simpler and uh, simpler than the established sidecar proxy pattern, I guess would be the, the right way to say it. Well, wait a minute. Now, how is it simpler? Because we just got through another part of the discussion going, I'm still going to need sidecar proxies in some cases. So if I shift some functions to eBPF because performance and that helps... But then I got to leave other functions in the sidecar proxy. Then that feels like I just added things, and so therefore it's more complex and not simpler.
2: Yeah. So with Solum Service Mesh in the sidecar-free model, you're no longer running a proxy per pod, but you're running a proxy per node, and it is invisible to to the end user. Okay, um, that, that's also, a big point
0: here. So just 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 yeah. for the people that are you know catching this uh, catching up on what Kubernetes architecture node meaning you know a worker node that's actually hosting a bunch of pods and in the sidecar proxy model you're going to instantiate a sidecar proxy per pod so you end up with two containers in a pod a bunch of pods on a node we're stripping that all out all the sidecar proxies out and so now we're left with what you're saying one EPPF instance that's running uh, on the node we're way down at the node level here right. I mean, to us, we're
2: we're kernel people, right? There's one kernel, (laughs) there's one eBPF runtime, there's one proxy. Um, We could actually run the proxy at a different um, granularity as well. Like some users have have recommended, hey, we're asked for, could we run one per namespace or some other granularity, but not per pod. And the reason why this is simpler is we don't bother to having to start a proxy when a new pod starts. We don't have to shut down the proxy when the pod dies. Hmm. We don't have to manage a large fleet of proxies running around, right? So I think that's why this is simpler from a user perspective. All the EBPF and the kernel proxy, all of that is magic in the infrastructure layer, right EBPF is not simple. EBPF is kernel level. it's written for kernel like I, I like it because I'm a kernel developer, right EBPF is not for application developers. EBPF is really low level. For current level operators, it's wonderful to build to, um, to build, in, to build infrastructure, but it should not be exposed to end users directly. So that's why we think about from a usability model and from an architectural perspective, it becomes much simpler. But the majority of the simplicity comes from, like, I think, the simplified control plane. So going towards gateway API instead of dozens of different CRDs.
1: I, now, I was going to ask a question regarding how Cilium decides between using EVPF or a sidecar proxy. Mm-hmm. And you've answered part of that question, which is there is no sidecar proxy, Ned. <laughs> it wouldn't use that. It's running at the node level. So is that proxy being spun up as a pod and, and running as like a daemon set? Or is it like a separate process that's running outside of the Kubernetes pod construct?
2: It's running as a separate process on the node, and it, you right. can namespace and C group it any way you want. Right? So it, it can be right now, it's simply running as part of the Cilium pod that runs on every node. So it is subject to the resource limits of the Cilium pod. So if you want um, the, the per node proxy to have a total of v, four vCPUs available, then give the Cilium pod those four vCPUs of CPU available. So it's currently about this could be there is no there's it's it's simple to change this to say I want this in a in a different namespace. Um we're also gonna think this maybe gets a bit into the multi-tenancy question. I think the, the one big project that we have left on the proxy model is uh introducing a default rate limits um so one of the questions we get immediately when we talk about a per node model is well what if one of the pods uses up all of the resources available Fox, <laughs> right, right? yeah <laughs> yes i was i was i was, I was, I, was gonna I was. ask that question yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and usually the, the answer to this is not this is not a new problem right in the networking world we have this forever um it's rate limits you limit the, the number of requests per second that a particular pod can emit or receive. Envoy is actually built very similar to the Linux kernel, it's multi-threaded. And you can configure these listeners that eventually define the, the configuration of a port of and we map each pod running on the, the nodes to one of, su- one of such listeners. So we can actually simply rate limit. Every pod can do at most 100 HTTP requests per second. Or 50 HTTP, HTTP requests per second, and so on. But then it gets more interesting because we're actually in a share proxy. We can now do fair queuing and fair sharing. Like we have limited resources. This is to the networking world, not new, right? QoS. Mm-hmm. So like the NIC is is, is finite. <laughs> we cannot have one NIC per app, right? So we need to we need to distribute the resources either evenly or fair or in the in 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 whatever way we want. And I think from our perspective the service mesh proxy should not be any different. And maybe Ned, to answer your question, when eBPF and when proxy, we're always attempting eBPF and can then essentially fall back. So the proxy is always there. So we can also just disable the eBPF pod and you just go always go through the, through the proxy. The eB, eBPF is kind of a fast path option that we can make available.
1: Okay. And the actual sidecar, or not? The actual proxy that's running—that's based off of Envoy, or is that yes, selectable? Okay, all right. Well, it's
2: technically flexible. We we have evaluated. I mean, when we picked Envoy, Linkerd was just between v1 v2. They just restarted rewriting Linkerd, and Envoy seemed like the best proxy option. But from an architectural perspective, is this is this is easily uh, easily replaceable? Also, when we talk about overhead of proxies. Uh, we often measure with multiple of them, but we never we never mention them because they all behave more or less the same. It's not the proxy that's the problem, it's the injection and the cost of that injection that is the overhead, not necessarily that small piece of code that actually runs as part of the proxy.
1: Gotcha, okay. Um, a big thing that has been coming up, or at least vaunted by the hardware side of the house, is the introduction of smartNICs and mm-hmm. BPUs. And I'm curious if eBPF is able to leverage some of the SmartNICs that are being slapped in servers today.
2: Yes, all the SmartNIC vendors I'm aware of actually have eBPF offload support. Um, That does not mean that arbitrary eBPF programs can run on a SmartNIC, but it's relatively close to that. So you could not run all of Cilium on a SmartNIC, but I can give you an example where it does make sense obviously DDoS filters that Cilium has where you want to filter as close to the wire as possible, but also things like multicast fan out, right? Where you just, Oh, I need to, I need to replicate this packet 45 times. This is really slow in software mm-hmm. uh, and we're running in some um, stock exchange contexts and latency really, really matters. And then like replicating that packet 45 times is actually really hard in software and the smart link can come in and just do this better actually a powerful part of eBPF because we're kind of still speaking hardware language. eBPF itself is built out of x86 assembly, um, like it's a reduced x86 assembly instruction set hmm. written in high-level C, <laughs> <laughs> which, which to a kernel level is obviously a high-level language, but that means it's actually very feasible to offload. So it's also possible to offload um, P4 or almost interchange P4 and eBPF as well.
1: Okay, does that mean that since it's running the reduced x86 instruction set, it doesn't work on ARM-based processors today?
2: It, it does. It was, it was based off this. Um, it's a it's a virtual bytecode language, which means the, what you write is completely portable. And then there's a just-in-time compiler in the kernel that actually translates that into ARM or x86 or whatever your CPU runs. So you actually get the native performance with fully portable programs.
1: I just want to run it on my Raspberry Pi. I guess that's what it (laughs) is. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Thomas, take us through a packet walk. What we've done here is instantiate a new data path that involves eBPF. So if I got a packet that's flowing into my, it's coming into my Kubernetes cluster, it's going to hit uh, at some point a worker node. And then eventually some of that code is going to be processed through, some of those packets are going to be processed by eBPF in the Cilium service mesh there's a lot there to that packet walk but if you could kind of give us a high level of how this yeah. would be different from a sidecar proxy maybe
2: absolutely so packet comes into the cluster it hits one of the nodes all those nodes are running Cilium. and Cilium will be at first running an ebpf program at xdp on all the NIC drivers and it will do ddos protection and actually filter out des- destinations that should not be talked to you and then most likely, eBPF will decide, hey, this needs to go to my ingress controller because I need to do layer seven load balancing first. There is TLS termination going on. And it will hand it over to the Envoy instance that is running in the Cilium pod. Like Cilium has a full-blown ingress controller. And the Envoy proxy will take that connection, TLS terminated, and then decide what it should do. And it will figure out, oh, this is going to test.com. Uh, I need to send this to one of these backends that's one of these pods and it will talk to the so-called cluster IP of that service and we'll send it out. So we'll pick it up on an eBPF perspective and we'll do a layer four, layer three load balancing decision, all in eBPF, standard networking stuff. And we'll actually then send it out either if we're running in BGP uh, based on a direct route or in overlay with VXLAN IP IP or Geneve over the virtual network to the nodes that is running the backend pod um, of this of this uh, test, test, test.com service. In there, let's say we have additional layer seven, layer seven filtering or layer, um, layer seven filtering enabled. So you cannot actually enter that pod without some HTTP authorization. Uh, eBPF will first pick it up on the NIC of the VM or the, or the metal machine, and then decide, okay, for this destination, this is going to one of my local endpoints. This actually needs to go through one of the proxies and we'll give it to... Uh, the local part or the local envoy running in the salient part for HTTP HTTP, HTTP, HTTP authorization. That's a typical one where we actually have a fair amount of proxy rules. We also have a a much simpler east-west use case where we have no proxies at all. Let's say service A is talking to service B and you want to use MTLS. Service A is, is, is sending traffic, it's sending this traffic out of a virtual Ethernet device. EBPF picks it up and, and identifies. Well, this needs to be authenticated before I can send it to my uh, to my to my destination. It will give it, it will tell the Silium agent, hey, please authenticate this request. The Selim agent will do so, talking to the agent on the other node. And if that passes the uh Selim agent or the BPF program will pass it to the um to the uh to the remote node, there's no proxy involvement at all. It's a it's a flat TC, it's a flat TCP IP um flow.
0: So first of all, woo and wild applause and all of that, that you just spit that out, <laughs> out of the top of your head. But yeah. I guess that's the world you've been living in. You'd be thinking about all that all the time. So two follow-up questions, one about performance and another about observability. So one performance in your blog post on, I think it was on isovalent.com uh, you show some comparative graphs where a transaction time is reduced substantially when you can put as many components of the transaction through eBPF processing as possible versus a sidecar proxy. Can you uh, enumerate for us some, some of what the performance gains would be?
2: Yes, I think the best case is when we all look at HTTP visibility. So an app team wants tracing, like open Open telemetry tracing, I want my Jaeger UI, I want my golden dash, golden signal dashboard, I need traces. And they enable this feature and they can enable it via eBPF, HTTP um, visibility available in our enterprise distribution or a proxy model with sidecars. And in a proxy model, we are seeing roughly a four X increase in latency for P95. Whereas for in, for the in-kernel HTTP parser, it is almost flat. There's like a 5% increase or something at P95. And that's, mm. that's it almost looks like it's for, for free. And that's not, that, that doesn't mean it's completely for free. There's actually a bit of CPU being used because HTTP processes are actually pretty, pretty involved, but, but, but the actual expensive part is going to user space into the proxy. A lot of that cost accumulated, with the spectrum meltdown mitigation. Like a, like the context switching between kernel and user space could so much more expensive. There are benchmarks out there, HA proxy before and after. It's ridiculous how much slower proxies became. That's not because of that specific proxy. It's because of the cost of switching between kernel and user space processing. So that's like the, the biggest massive difference is if you can avoid terminating connections and running a user space proxy that gives us as that's it's not even comparable right because we're almost flat to the baseline compared to up to a 4x increase in latency then the other use case when we need to use a proxy then the difference is not quite as much so we both just like istio we also use envoy and i'm assuming Linkerd would actually be a fair amount faster than envoy because it's 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 a bit more minimal and smaller has a smaller footprint as well but even there um, the cost that LinkedIn would have to pay is that it has to go through two proxies. And in the Cilium service mesh option, when we need a proxy, we, in almost all use cases, we only ever need one proxy because you do one load balancing decision. You don't do you don't do two of them. And things that you would need two tab points, such as MTLS or visibility, these we can do without the proxy. And that's where we still see more overhead compared to the baseline, but not, but still like a a factor two difference to the actual sidecar model. In this model, we'll sometimes see the complexity of the actual filter in Envoy making a difference as well. Istio has a very rich Envoy filter. Cilium has a slightly smaller Envoy filter. That can also make a difference. But even the biggest impact is still how many proxies per connection are you actually running?
0: So I'm going to see a gain. I'm going to be able to get more work out of my Kubernetes cluster when I leverage this. I think is one one way to view it, and I think the other way to view it would be um, the transaction time to my user. If their transaction ends up being uh, calling a complex number of services, is going to be reduced. It may, it could feel faster, user experience wise.
2: We have, uh, most users actually don't even care about the latency. They just care about the 20% of compute to have, have to yeah. pay the cloud provider. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that's like 80%, right? Yeah. Do I, yeah. Am I paying 800 nodes or a thousand nodes? But then there are also, I think, enterprise use cases I mentioned, uh, for example, trading. There's simply specific latency requirements that could not be, that cannot be violated. Like they need to be met um, Microseconds
0: and even nanoseconds matter in that. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Right. Absolutely. That's cl- clearly the subset, right? And that's more the traditional enterprise world. That's less the web scale, modern cloud native world.
0: Okay. So that kind of sums up performance and helps us get in our heads why this approach is faster and the real world performance benefit we're likely to see observability is then the next question when we did the packet walk and you went through all of that uh, walking through every hop and bump along the way which is which is complex in this environment there's a lot to it how do i as an operations person troubleshoot all of this when things go awry is there some observability method how, how do i get into this when the packets aren't going where they're supposed to yeah so this is probably the
2: the the most user-facing property of ebpf like EBPF many associated with like networking because that's where BPF originally came from, like a packet filter. But when EBPF got really evolved, it actually got evolved by a second group called the tracing group. And this group uh, essentially had the goal to build visibility into the kernel and user space applications. Give me function tracers. I want to understand which of my functions is using, how much how many how many how much CPU, how much memory, and so on. So EBPF was heavily optimized to be incredibly good at providing visibility at low cost. And that's what we're also leveraging from a resilient perspective. So we can see, packets as close as in the network driver at so-called XDP level, all the way up into the socket level where there, where it's not even a network packet yet. Right, right. right? And okay. we can do this on every node and we can run with the egress gateways, even in bare metal data centers. So we, we, we have all these observability points everywhere. Uh, and because eBPF is programmable, we can actually not just generate flow logs, right? Like five tuple flow logs. We can actually create histograms. We create metrics. And so on, and gain uh, visibility visibility in a smart way that's not just sampling. It's not just s flow and net flow. We can also do that, but that's not really what the kind of the new norm. The new norm is to have powerful Prometheus metrics and network flow logs that are aggregated, end to end, everywhere. So we we essentially collect that in eBPF layer, make it available as Prometheus metrics. You can create can create great Grafana dashboards. The security-relevant stuff goes into your SIM, and then you have per-node flow exporters where you can export this into a very cheap data, a very cheap file storage. For for example, in AWS S3 buckets or something similar, right? That gives you this end-to-end visibility that you really want. And because we are at the network level and also at the layer seven, we understand not only the network level, the network policy level, what was allowed, what was not allowed, but even every HTTP request, the latency. Kafka, call like Memcached, we have so many protocol parses even TLS we even understand which which cipher was uh, was was used. what is the cipher key length we can see when an attacker is using a downgrade attack and so on. so we have so much visibility with, with, with BPF that is that's really the key for any successful cloud native storage. it's that day two day, day two visibility story.
0: But the, the key here is that with Celium Service Mesh, I've got observability points because of how you described where, where they're all baked in. Uh, it will give me the data, but I've got to ingest the data and build something so that I can do something with the observability data. There's no dashboard built in as such.
2: There is a dashboard, we have our own dashboard called Hubble UI. <laughs> Hubble for the for the good visibility, right? And it gives you like a global service map, like all the services, how they're um, how they're um, connected. That's not always what app teams want. That's often what the platform and security team want. They want really to have the grand the grand overview. App teams over, often use like one of the the one of the available tracing UIs where they can see the spans of all their HTTP. Um, HTTP traffic, like how, what was the latency of this request response? How long did my app take to actually process this? Does this time change since I last deployed my app, and so on? So we have a set of baked-in tooling, primarily for for platform and security tooling, and then support standards such as Open Telemetry for more the app team
0: uh, centric um, use cases. App people don't want to have to care about the infrastructure. They just don't. Exactly. They will be the first to call if it, if it doesn't
1: work, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, let's say that I'm today already using a service mesh of some kind. Maybe I'm using Istio in my cluster. What would the process be to switch over to Cilium service mesh with that cluster? Is it a long drawn out process, a hard cutover, some downtime? What does that kind of look like?
2: Well, first of all, I would ask everybody, like, why do you want to change? And maybe the Istio generation is the way to go for you. If you are happy with your current service mesh, uh, take the additional Cilium benefits that you can get and be happy. Right? There is nothing wrong with that. Um, otherwise, I think it probably means actually changing to another control plane right now. Because as we are speaking right now, we only support Istio in the sidecar model. There's not a model yet where we can support Istio as the control plane with the sidecar-free data path. That may come. Nobody has asked us to do this yet, so maybe the requests will come in and we'll have to do this in a couple of weeks. Um, other, um, Other than that, because there is such a wide variety of different control plane standards, it usually actually means to rewrite your spec, your configuration into different language, which is why I think there is so much interest around Gateway API and there's so much demand now. Please, please, please standardize on how to configure service mesh. like right? We don't want to switch service meshes every two years. We want to use have one standard and then pick the best data plane implementation below. Similar to how I can now pick the best container runtime I want. I don't need to rewrite my Kubernetes pod specs to use a different container runtime. And I think the same, unfortunately we're not quite there yet, but I think the same should happen. Um, and we believe, I believe that Gateway API is the most likely contender to be that standard.
0: Well, Thomas, let's look to the future here. What is on the roadmap for Cilium Service Mesh? So definitely the biggest focus of ours will be be to participate, to complete Gateway API
2: and to uh, participate upstream because we believe that this will actually help and benefit many of our users. I think it's very close to this simple Service Mesh control plane that many of our users are asking for. And then we'll do, of course, doing incremental improvements from 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 there as well. There may be more service mesh control planes coming up where users are asking for. In general, I would see roadmap wise, integration of non-Kubernetes and more traditional enterprise use cases is clearly the future. In general, what I'm kind of seeing at a very high level is that we Cilium coming up from kind of the traditional networking, enterprise networking world, service mesh coming a bit top down, first app teams right now, we're starting to mesh together most likely we'll have a new layer called whatever that will contain both Um, that can talk kubernetes networking that can do service mesh that can do multi-cluster that can work on-prem in the cloud uh, but that can also work seamlessly well with non-kubernetes workloads and integrate with traditional firewalls and all of the nitty-gritty enterprise uh, the the nitty-gritty
0: enterprise enterprise protocols that we'll need to support Great stuff. Uh, Thomas, uh, how can people follow you on the internet? Absolutely. So I
2: I have a Twitter at uh, at tgraph underscore underscore. Very hard to remember, but (laughs) too too late to change at this point. Of course, you can read more about psyllium at psyllium.io as well as our company isovalent.com.
0: And we're going to have links to uh, those and the blog post that Thomas wrote about Cilium Service Mesh as part of the Cilium 1.12 release, and then another blog post up at cncf.io about uh, Cilium 1.12 that's got a lot of the details that we talked about more at the top of the show. Thomas, this was great. We enjoyed uh, chatting with you. Man, you went deep, and you never skipped a beat. I don't even think you had to pause to think, man. You just went for it. So... uh, Really much appreciated uh, that you spent your time with Day2Cloud today. And if you're still listening out there, virtual high fives to you for tuning in. You are an awesome human. If you have suggestions for future shows, hey, Ned and I want to hear them. You can tweet at us at day 2 Cloud Show, Or if you're not a Twitter person, yeah, we get that. Go to nedinthecloud.com. Ned's got a form for you. You can fill out your content requests there. A little bit of housekeeping, Packet Pushers has a weekly newsletter, Human Infrastructure Magazine. It is loaded with the very best stuff we found on the internet, plus our own feature articles and commentary. It is free, and it doesn't suck. Get the next issue via packetpushers.net slash newsletter. And until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.